And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. MM stands for Mick McCarthy, not Merlin Magician. Evans will hit it all! That is special! It's magic at Molyneux! Dreaming is for free. Hello and welcome to the Molyneux View podcast with me, Jackie Oatley, and Tim Spears, your Wolverhampton Wanderers correspondent for The Athletic. We are back with a one-off pod special to react to the confirmation of Bruno Large as the new Wolves manager. Four at the back and six in attack? Not quite, but it sounds as though it should be fun at least. We'll ask what his appointment might mean for some of the current players. Former Wolves midfielder David Jones will share his first-hand experience of Large as coach from their time at Sheffield Wednesday. We'll discuss potential transfers in and out and we'll react to the Ask Wolves question and answer session with Wolves executive chairman Jeff Shee and the club's senior management team. You can subscribe to The Athletic right now for a special price of $3.99 a month for six months. That's 40% off the full price of the subscription. You'll enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts. You'll get all of Tim's articles in there too. So go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash wolves pod to take advantage of the special 40% discount. Great time to do it with Euros right here. Tim, how Jackie. are you? Yeah, how good. much of a break have you had, by the way, since we last spoke? When does the football off? stop, Jackie? That's what I want to know. When does it stop? <laughs> have you had a day off, even? And yeah, no, I've, I've, I've had, I think I've had two off and then been hung over for the next few after that. So that's just the way it works, isn't it? Hang on, I've just all... noticed, most importantly, I've just noticed you've grown a beard. Is this new? Is it the lighting on your Zoom or are you actively growing something is this anything to do with rebelling against manscaped or something like that no, in no ma- 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 manscaped's at the other end um yeah, I'm, well, I'm, I'm not prepared to talk about that situation either. right now um no well it's just what else is there to do in a pandemic than grow a beard so, you know i don't know i've tried it's not worked <laughs> anyway <laughs> anyway so wolf's got a new manager and it is most importantly, pronounced Bruno Large. Let's hear from the man himself. Don't take it from me. Let's hear from the man himself. Large. Not large. Large. Without the R. So disappointing, Tim, for all the people who had the, the Lager Lager songs going on. But it's not German for location or situation, which it would have meant. Um, instead, it's just large. That's how it is. It won't stop Born Slippy being the anthem of next season. <laughs> Which it's I don't a shame. mind. It would have at been all. perfect, hey? <laughs> but it's not Lage or anything. It's it's just Lage. Um, but Bruno, Bruno has a, a ring to it, doesn't it? And Bruno has a dream. That's the that's the great thing about this. All the songs can stay the same, can't they? Bruno, very handy, very very handy indeed. Yep. So I mean, his name was mentioned right at the start. I mean, he was linked with Aston Villa, wasn't he? But I mean, just start at the beginning in terms of what we know about this chap, because there was a, a lot of surprise out there that somebody with so little experience has landed such a top job. But just tell us what his background is, because he's. Been been around for a long time in coaching at least yeah for, for more than two decades and um doing a big profile on him this week and I thought that was quite important to get across really that you know obviously the first thing you do when a new manager is linked with your club um is look at his history and in terms of managerially you know he, he's only got 18 months but there's obviously much more to this man than just 18 months in charge of Benfica he's been a coach since a very young age since his early 20s and I guess his life's been kind of building towards this moment, really. Um, it's, it's been his dream to manage in the Premier League. And here he is. Done lots of work uh, at youth level, particularly at Benfica for eight years, where he worked with you know a host of unbelievable players like Edison, uh, Ruben Diaz, um, Joe Cancelo. Adulterapt. Adulterapt. <laughs> um, even players very familiar to, to Wolves fans like Arvin Cavallero, uh, Helder Costa. Also Bernardo Silva as well, 
Joe Texera. So he did that did that for eight years, did it very, very well, and then kind of broadened his horizons by moving overseas, worked in um, worked in the UAE for a couple of years, and that was where his career took a, a very different trajectory, primarily because that's where he met Carlos Carvajal, who, when he was appointed as Sheffield Wednesday manager in 2015, took Bruno Lage with him, and then he, he was assistant at Sheffield Wednesday, then at Swansea, and then he went back to Benfica as Benfica B manager, and then he got the Benfica job, which is where the majority of people listening to the podcast will know of the work he did there with his quite stunning title success. So he's a very uh, intelligent man. He's very um, tactically astute. He's written books about tactics, which is pretty good, and uh, books about training methods in particular and about how to develop young players. Very astute man who's been in the game for a long time and an awful lot of people in Portugal know exactly who he is and what he does. Uh, he may be a new name to to a lot of people on these shores, but he's got um, a strong body of work over more than two decades in, in coaching. Yeah, so a lot of pros to his appointment. A couple of cons in the sense that he's had one and a half seasons as a manager, which is not a lot to take on a job in the Premier League for such an ambitious club. There are a lot of people who've who've taken top jobs without much of a track record in management, but they have had more of a significant playing career, for example, like Arteta or uh, Gerard, etc. Was there anybody else realistically in the frame? Because we, we were led to believe that other maybe... British candidates would be considered and suddenly this guy became the front runner very very quickly and of course he is a Mendes client it has to be said. The key thing is here and why he's been appointed as Wolves boss is is that he fits the Wolves model. I'm not sure many Premier League clubs would have appointed him to be honest. You haven't seen him linked with with you mentioned Villa but I don't think that was a realistic possibility of him ever moving to Villa with you know with Dean Smith in charge there. So that's the key thing here is that he fits the Wolves model. Uh, he's Portuguese. It's, it's definitely a massive tick in the box for someone of who the, of who they were looking for. Obviously, he's George Mendes' agent. Again, that's a massive tick in the box in terms of the seamlessness between recruitment and and the playing staff. And then other things like he promote, loves to promote young players and by all accounts, he's very, very good at working with them and has a track record of fantastic work at youth level at Benfica. And he wants to play attacking football, which was a, a key criteria in this particular appointment. You know, after what we saw last season under Nuno, it was a bit of a write-off of a season and it was so dull at times for long periods, you know, as we as we painstakingly discussed for many months. So the key here was an attacking, exciting appointment who can work with young players and he does tick all those boxes. Like I said earlier, when a manager is hard you instantly look at their record but in this case the Benfica title you know while it while it's a big reason it's not it's not the be all and end all and there are managers who've won titles who've been spectacular failures in the Premier League I mean Frank de Boer springs to mind as someone who won four titles four with Ajax in Holland and is widely regarded as one of the worst managers we've ever seen in the Premier League. Totally um, the wrong type of players to be trying to play that football from the start of the season. It was just extraordinary what he tried to do there. It was just like style of Solbach and coming here, wasn't it? It was completely the wrong group of players to try and play that style of football. Exactly. And that, that's why, yeah, you've got to look beyond just his record in this case. And then you look at someone like Claudio Ranieri, who came here, I think he'd been sacked by Greece after they lost to the Faroe Islands. And then overseas, probably the greatest title triumph English football has ever seen. So you can't just look at his last job or how, where he's been sacked from. It's more that it's a, he's a good fit. From what I'm told, he gets on really well with players. He, like I said, he's intelligent, tactically astute, and huge success at Benfica for, for the first 12 months. I mean, he won 36 of 38 games to start in the league. I mean, that is astonishing. The title success that he oversaw, I know that, I know that people will know this, but you know, if people aren't aware, the goals they scored was, was frankly eye-popping I mean they scored 103 to win the title and, and the vast majority of those were under him I think it was 70 odd in the second half of the season yeah I mean we do have to point out he only came in in the January of the title winning season he wasn't there for the whole 103 goals it was in the January and they had won seven in a row in the December before that so he wasn't exactly picking the club up off the floor I'm just being completely neutral about this that he took them from fourth to the title. And it was a huge achievement, a massive spike in the number of goals and wins. Huge credit. But he did come in the January. He didn't come in in the previous summer and, or, or after they were having a nightmare. No, he did. Absolutely. But but he came in with them, you know, fourth in the table, which for Benfica is 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 completely unacceptable, you know, where they were at the time. Seven points off the top. So to then, to then go and win the league in such style was phenomenal and some of the wins, you know, obviously the 10-0 people, people will probably know of, the biggest win for 50 years, but also... 
scoring four, five, six on, on, on sort of a regular basis. But it was the manner in which he did it that's caught Wolves' eye in that he brought through youth. So he introduced players from the B team where he was manager um, who hadn't played before. Florentino Louise being one, Ferro being another at centre half, and then Joe Felix. And this is this is uh, Joe Felix had only started a couple of games. It's easy to say now he's a wonder kid. He's the fourth most expensive player in the world, and it's easy to say, oh yeah, play Joe Felix. But he wasn't playing at that time. I think he'd only he'd only started two league games in his career, and then Bruno Large not only brings him into the team but builds a team around him, and has the vision to say because he's worked with him, this kid is special I'm going to make him um, a second striker in a 4-4-1-1 and I'm going to build my team around him now that's a that's a brave decision because you know he's not relied on old heads and experienced players he's brought in the kids because he knew them so well the question is can he transfer that to a club that he doesn't know you know he knew Benfica inside out he'd worked there for nine years over two spells he knew Jao Felix so well, he centred the team around him. But can he transfer that to a club that he doesn't know and players he doesn't know? That's the key question now. You know, I wrote afterwards, after Nuno left, when they were kind of debating which way to go here, as in, are, we, are they just going to appoint Mendes' man or are they going to actually have a proper manager search here? Um, you know, that once the uh, appointment was made, we'd know where the influence very much still lies at Molyneux. And, and the answer is that, Nuno's exit has changed nothing on that front. You know, George Mendes is still very much pulling the strings. If this doesn't work, if it gets off to a slow start, um, if Bruno Lage doesn't last long, if recruitment is underwhelming, I think you'll see a real shift in public moods against Mendes and they may have to sort of rethink their model. They did flirt with having a proper process here and there were senior figures in the club that were pushing for that to happen, you know, to have a proper application, an interview process and I know that they were considering it, you know, before they met Bruno Lage. So it's Mendes's man, and that, you, you know that's a concern Scott for me. Would have, that, that they've the hired director would have preferred an open application process. I'm sure he would, as in his sort of director of football slash technical director role. You know that's um, that's that's what that's what you'd want. You wouldn't just want an agent kind of recommending someone who, who the club then hires. Um, as far as I know, he's the only he's the only man they interviewed. So yeah, so they've hired the guy that Mendes has advised them to, rather than scouring the globe for the best available candidates. You know, is that, that's that's my concern here. Not not that not that Bruno Large can't be a success because you know, in researching him and speaking to people who've worked with him, you know, he's got many many attributes, and and I think he can transfer those tools. And I completely get the Portuguese culture and not wanting to disrupt the dressing room too much, and bringing through youngsters. He ticks a lot of boxes, but yeah, you 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 want the best available man for the job, and I'm not sure you can say that that's happened here, but. That's how Wolves work. Nuno was Mendes' man too, and that led to the greatest period this club has enjoyed in in decades. So you can't say that it that it that you know he he won't be a success just because of the way that they brought him in. It's unconventional. Like I said, not many clubs in the Premier League would have appointed him, but it has worked for Wolves in the past. Um, and I do get the argument that if you brought in, you know, they 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 did their research on Frank Lampard and 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 they kind of flirted with whether Stephen Gerrard would be available. And I do get that. If one of those men or, or, or someone similar would have come in, then it possibly would destabilise the dressing room a bit more. And with Bruno Lodge, there is continuity, and we shouldn't forget that. And we shouldn't forget that there's not a huge amount wrong with this Wolf squad. You know, in, in, in my opinion, we discussed for weeks on end last season how they just needed a summer refresh and a few new faces. So, and the likes of Fabio Silva and Neto and Vitinha, if they sign him, I, I think they'll flourish un, under this guy. And, and we look forward to seeing a more attacking style of football next season. There are risks involved in any appointment, but I think if this does go wrong, then you can accuse them of, of having not done due diligence and not done this process properly. But like I said, it is, it is very much a natural fit for where this club is right yeah, now. Yeah, totally and how, agree and that every single appointment is a risk. You could look at Everton and say, Carlo Ancelotti, brilliant appointment, no risk there. But of course, the risk is he gets an offer from Real Madrid and he's off. So there are different types of risks. There are different levels of risks. And what the club has to do is weigh up the pros and cons. And the cons of this one is they've appointed somebody with one year of senior management in not a top five league in Europe. Um, but the pros are very clear. And I think that the vibe from Wolves fans and I share this to a certain extent, um, although I'm trying to look completely objectively at everything, 
is that last season was so painful to watch, largely. And we know exactly what the reasons are. We've poured over all of them on this podcast week after week after week. Pandemic, lack of fans, injuries, Raul, blah, blah, blah. Nuno missing his family. Everything to do with the disruption, the lack of pre-season. Everything we've talked of so many times. But the idea of a manager coming in and thinking about possibly even attacking once in a while, finding solutions, not just talking about finding solutions, but actually, and and that stat, I've talked about it a lot, but the one that James Gocroft came up with for us, that only one goal was scored from within the six-yard box in the entire season, and that's because Wolves players didn't attack in numbers, didn't take risks, and that sort of handbrake football of Nuno for all his wonderful work for three seasons out of the four the handbrake football last season was really grating and we'll come on to the ask wolves question and answer session a little bit later on but really if you're trying to flog tickets if you're trying to flog merchandise if you're trying to expand the club across the the globe then watching handbrake football and players not attacking and just this painful slow death of second halves as we saw this season it's not going to put bums on seats and it's not going to make it £45 is a great price for a ticket. People are feeling negatively about the club as a result of watching a lot of that football in this past season. And so that's something that's really attracted the fans to Bruno Lage. Yeah, I, I agree. But there were so many there were so many reasons behind that. I mean, he try, Nuno tried to be attacking and then, then, then they just started shifting three goals a week. So uh, he, he put the handbrake on in the last three months, you know, to stay up. Um, if there were fans in the stadium, it, it may have been different. But when you're in empty stadiums, he was just trying to get those results. I agree with your sentiment. And an important thing here is they've moved quickly. We, we look at the shambles uh, at West Brom and, and at Palace, talking of Nuno, and at Spurs and at Everton. I mean, Palace must have known Hodgson was going for, for, for months, surely. Speaking now on June the 6th, they're nowhere near appointing anyone, right? So the fact that Wolves have moved quickly is, is good, is a positive. You know, the most important thing was to sort this by pre-season. They've got a month till pre-season now. From what I gather, he's he, he wants... Um, sorry, I'm told it's now June the, it's June the 10th, apparently. I don't know what day it is, producer Steve. Um, so, yeah, um, I'm told he wants, you know, a lot of pre-season games, understandably, under his belt. So this is good. It's good that he's in early. Um, it's good that he, the, the club have now got clarity. Hopefully there's a vision in terms of recruitment this summer. Uh, he came in and met all the staff early this week and comes across as a very friendly, nice guy. Uh, he can rock a sharp suit as well, Jackie, which definitely helps in the eyes of some supporters. And the work starts now. So let's just hope he's let's just hope he's being backed in the transfer market because if you're asking someone to implement a new style of football then you need to be able to bring in the players you you want to do that and we know there are some very 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 good attacking players already at the club and in my opinion and I've said it before on this podcast the defense has to be sorted out to allow those players to flourish next season so hopefully that's priority number one for the new guy and is that again relying on George Mendes to bring in a new centre-half and midfielder etc as discussed, his influence at the club shows shows no sign of, of slowing down. You know, I, th- I think I think um, he'll be key to, to recruitment this summer and bringing in the players that Bruno Lage wants. That's a key reason why he's been appointed because you know the feeling is that it'll be more seamless in that regard. If you brought in someone Frank, like Frank Lampard, would he would he be able to work closely with George Mendes? You know, we saw the issue with when Paul Lambert was appointed that 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 that. that that was not the case and Nuno was far more seamless in that regard so so yes um, I'm sure George Mendes and his uh, stable of clients will be a key part of Wolsey's recruitment this summer but I just hope that that they're not just relying on him yeah just um, yeah because it would be easier with it being his agent and the club's preferred agent etc pros and cons of course to that um, but just one thing um, which people probably aren't aware of I hadn't read it anywhere but I've just been told that uh, Bruno Lage is married, has two children, aged six and one, and that they're not moving over just yet. His wife's got a full-time job, so they're looking at their options there. And you just hope, with Portugal being taken off the green list, that they don't have too many problems on that front, because we saw what happened with Nuno last season when he didn't get to see his wife and daughter for virtually the whole season, and the effect that it appeared to have. And we don't know, we're only judging from a distance, but um, fingers crossed they managed to to get that situation sorted, and that he, and he'll have his brother with him, won't he, on the backroom staff, Luis Nascimento. So that will be something, but hopefully from a personal point of view, he's able to have his family with him, and they're able to crack on together quite soon.
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's bring in the former Wolves midfielder David Jones now, who was coached by Bruno Lage for a season and a half at Sheffield Wednesday. Hi, David. Hi, Jackie. Now, you spoke to Tim for his rather good piece on the new Wolves manager, which people should definitely have a look at. It was really interesting stuff. But just tell us, in your own words, what Lage is like as a coach, first of all. Well, I think a good place to start is just talking about my first day at Sheffield Wednesday. So... When I showed up at the club, I think the first team were playing that night, so I wasn't involved with the squad. Bruno was going to take me for an individual session just to have a look at me, get me up to speed, just get my fitness levels and things like that. And um, What he'd set up is quite an elaborate um, technical drill, really. I thought he was really specific on details, and you know, I pride myself on, on getting details and technical drills right, and I, th- I thought that day I absolutely killed it. I was spot on with everything that I needed to do. This was just typical of him where, you know, I was expecting a little bit of love from him, but it was kind of, he kind of just let me know this was the level of what he expected. And um, that kind of was a good intro into how he is, really. He's really specific on the details of technical aspects of the game. So it sounds like he's going to be, well, he's clearly a very experienced coach, but what about man management? Because that's very, very different when you have to deal with players coming in late or players doing something in training, their attitude that that doesn't suit you, that you're not happy with. It's, It's a real skill that not everybody has. Did you get an inkling that even though he wasn't the main man, that he had those attributes potentially? With Bruno, you know, firstly... I think he was a really uh, well-liked guy in, in by the players. He was the type of guy that you had to get to know, really, in terms of um, you know any kind of warmth from him. But I really liked him, and um, I th- what he was really good at is um, on the individuals. So he, you know, he would talk through with me analysis and and um, give me coaching points. So it was more on a on an individual basis that he would do that as opposed to a group setting, which obviously as a manager, you've got to be able to transfer those skills of individuals to, to being able to be um, clear and to a group. So I'd say on an individual basis, he was a well-liked coach and, and, and guy. So he has got those, those skills. It's just my experience of him was not so much in a group setting. Yeah, it's obviously a very different role to the one that he'll be um, going into at Wolves. But I mean, he's being lauded for his attacking prowess and his short spell at Benfica as a, a head coach. Did you get that impression from him when he was doing the coaching with you that he was very attack minded? I did on an individual basis when we went through my game and what he wanted from me uh, for Sheffield Wednesday, uh, you know, the details within the game. But as you said, uh, uh, Benfica, they they played really attacking, scored a lot of goals. So I'm I'm sure that's something you'd you'd like to hear, Jackie. (laughs) It would be nice. It's been a bit of a tough old season, but hey, reasons for it. It seems like he's got an you know an awful lot of qualities in, in terms of coaching and, and his football intelligence. Do you think he's got a, a sort of an aura about him to, to be a successful manager as well? Obviously, he's been a coach for twenty years, but then taking that leap to become a manager, he's done very well at Benfica. Do you think he can now transfer that to Wolves and be an authoritative manager? I think he could do because what I mentioned just earlier about warming to him, he wasn't exactly your typical first team coach under the manager where. A lot of them are good mates of players in a way, but from him, he was more like a figure of a manager in terms of that he would be close to certain players. You know, you got that feeling, but there was there was that kind of manager feel to him. I would say in terms of that, I didn't really know him that well. He he kept his distance. Um, It was just strictly football with him. As time went on, as I said, I warmed to warmed to him as a personality and um, and and liked him. Did he have much of a sense of humour out of interest? Was he quite a straight-talking, <laughs> serious kind of bloke? Initially, I thought he was pretty serious, fairly serious. 
not to stereotype Portuguese coaches, but it's my experience in football is that it's been impressed that it's pretty serious the coaching and the, the training with Portuguese coaches and managers that I've worked with. Um, so that wasn't anything different. But he's a good guy, and um, as I said, I warmed to him as as time went on, and I think that you'll see that um, over time at Wolves. And just finally, David, really keen to get your thoughts on the Wolves midfield as you've occupied that position yourself in the Premier League. I mean, what do you think Wolves need to do next season? There's a lot of talk of Neves potentially going, Dendonka didn't have a great season, Moutinho, very expensive, perhaps luxury maybe to have, given his presumably very high wages and approaching 35. What are your thoughts on what needs to happen there? Um, I think it was a difficult season for Wolves because mainly due to some departures um, and injuries. When you leave someone like Jimenez um, up front, you know, in my opinion, he he this, he'd get into any team in the Premier League as number nine, apart from possibly with if he was a rival with Harry Kane, for example. So to so he's a he was a very he's a very poignant member of the team. So that does affect all the dynamics beneath that in terms of midfield. So I'm a big fan of Wolves midfield and how they operate. And I know that there's a lot of speculation of players, uh, a few players moving on. But I think it would be interesting to see what Bruno does um, in terms of formation and how he gets them playing because there is quality there. We know that. Um, I don't think there's there's too much that needs to be done in terms of the, the quality in midfield. Thanks, David. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us on The Molly New View. Thank you for having me on, yeah. Cheers, Cheers mate. Have a good yeah, summer. Thanks, thanks David. Thanks, thanks a lot. See you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Molly New View podcast from The Athletic with Jackie Oatley and Tim Spears. Now, Tim, we are all very, very keen to know what's happening with Wolves transfers this summer in and out. It was always going to be a really important window for them. Now they have a new manager. What can you tell us? Yeah, I think they've been waiting to, to sort of ratify the appointment. Not that it's been, a, you know, in doubt over much over the last few weeks other than his work permit and then have those discussions with him once he's appointed once he's in the country those discussions have happened this week and now I think we'll start to see a bit of movement I mean you know the, the first question is who, who's going we know and this was confirmed you know by Jeff Sheen and Scott Sellers recently during the during the Q&A series on the Wolves website we know that, that there won't be a lot of money to spend this summer and they used the word creative a couple of times and yeah so the question is who, who's going to go to finance uh, the additions that are coming in over the summer and in my mind it was either going to be Neves or Traore due to the fact that Jimenez, Jimenez won't be going anywhere this summer and obviously Neto's broken his kneecap I think they're your four most sellable, sellable assets so in my mind it, it was kind of coming down to Neto and to Neves and Traore I think we've seen over the last couple of weeks that, that Neves has kind of emerged as the the most likely candidate to go from what I'm told Wolves from what I'm told, it's very likely that he will leave this summer and that if Wolves' sort of asking price is met, then that'll happen. I think he's ready to move on after four years at the club. And Arsenal is a possible destination. I'm going to see Granit Xhaka, as, as we speak, is getting closer to a move to, to Roma, apparently. There's been some reports in the last hour or two. You know, he would be Xhaka's replacement in the Arsenal midfield. I can see that one happening, but I can't see it happening quickly. And I think that's that's going to be a recurring theme over, over the rest of the summer. You know, the Euros slows everything down. Most transfer business doesn't get done to the end of the summer anyway, but you throw a Euros into that, you throw a new manager into that, and it's going to slow down. So that, that's the key. That's the first key issue for me is who's going to go. And it's not just Neves. You know, I can see Matinho possibly moving on. Rui Patricio is a strange one. Um, I've been, I've heard varied accounts of what's going on there from being told it was a done deal that he's going to Roma a couple of weeks ago to that now being off and him potentially staying at the club and if Roma don't meet their asking price they're more than happy to keep him so there's agents at play there and um, and I'm not sure Patricia will be particularly desperate to leave but if Roma do come in with a decent fee he's at the age now where um, his value will dwindle every year so again that's another decision do they move him on does John Ruddy stay originally I was I was fully expecting him to leave but then heard a couple of weeks ago that he's in, he's in contract talks and there's an offer on the table if he wants to stay so there's all sorts of up in the air Adama Traore hasn't hasn't been um, linked with with many moves away sort of recently also I've seen wild speculation when he moved to Chelsea but you know that seems unlikely to me but um, but is he going to sign a new contract you know he's out of contract in a couple of years then there's the lone players you know Rafa Mir is, uh, is Bruno Lars going to have a look at him in training and see what he can offer Ruben Venagra Patrick Catroni 
Is he back for a third comeback, Jackie Oatley? Um, all bets are off now with you know with the new manager, um, Dion Sanderson. You know we know how much Bruno Lars wants to promote youth. That there's a there's a very exciting young English centre half. So there's all sorts of questions. There's also the low knees, Ryan Aitnori and Vitinia. Vitinia's tailor made to fit into Bruno Lars squad, in my opinion, and uh, I'd be really excited at the prospect of those two linking up. So yeah, so many questions to answer. To answer, not many have been answered yet. But from, um, I think we'll start to see the ball rolling now that Bruno Lodge has been appointed. Now that he's met all the staff at the club, now that he'll be sorting out his vision for how he wants to, his squad to look, and they'll try and get as much business as they can done before the start of pre-season on I think July the fifth or thereabouts. Yeah, and they said in the Ask Wolves session. Um, Matt Wilde, who's head of operations on the football side of things, said that it could well go right to the wire, bearing in mind the Euros. And, you know, they all pointed out it's not that straightforward. They'd love to get business done. Everybody would love to get business done earlier. But there are so many different factors at play in terms of the player himself, what he wants to do, uh, the selling club, the buying club. A lot of it's not in control in your control, is it? If if you're potentially prepared to let a player go. Say, for example, Neves, it depends. Hmm? I was just saying, especially if you need to sell to buy. Yeah, it is really, really difficult. So, so you know, there's no point in having a go at the club if they don't manage to get business done early because they clearly would want to and, and Bruno Lage would, would love to be able to get a, a solid, settled squad as early as possible. But it's going to be a really, really difficult summer for him. And as you mentioned, all the low knees, for goodness sake, and, and even John Ruddy, I mean, that's a difficult thing because for him, you think he wants to play every week, but it might be for a, a quarter of the wages that he's on yeah. for sitting on the bench yeah. every week. And that's a decision that he has to make. And yeah. it also depends on any takers, doesn't it and, and how many offers he gets so so many different factors very complicated rather than than us but there's just nothing concrete to report as yet is there on on anything I think it's going to be a really frustrating summer for fans and I think there's going to have to be some patience required which isn't uh, which isn't in abundance amongst Wolf supporters and another key thing is is you know what formation does Bruno Lars envisage playing you know he played he played 4-4-1-1 at Benfica but that was to surround the team around Joe Felix and, and the formation was built around him. That's not that's certainly not to say he's going to play the same system at Wolves in a very different league with a very different set of players. So I don't think we can say with any confidence what formation he's going to play. So um, once he's decided, and he might not, not know that himself, you know, you look at Gareth Southgate pondering which formation to play at the Euros. So Bruno Lage will want a full summer of pre-season to experiment with the players he's got. So there's an awful lot that's up in the air. But... No one's left yet. They've got a very good squad and they've got a very good group of players aged 19 to 21, 22 that are going to improve. Someone like Keanu Hoover, I'm expecting massive, massive things from. Owen Otisawi, Fabio Silva, we've spoken about so much about his potential. If they sign Bettina and Aitnori, a lot of these players are going to get better. It's exactly the type of players that Bruno Lage are going to want to work with. Plus you've got your Jimenez, your Netos, your Traores, on top of that, you Johnny Castrotto coming back. Nelson Semedo might benefit from having a new head coach in charge. Connor Cody might be starting for England at the Euros. You know, you've still got Willie Bolly, Romain Saiz. There's a lot of good players to work with there. But what they need to do, first of all, decide who's going and get them out and get the funds in to spend. Yeah, a lot of fans wondering whether Connor Cody will be suited to a back four if that's what Bruno Lage decides to play. And we don't know for sure because Nuno used to play a back four until he came to Wolves and then he exactly. changed it in that summer when he looked at the players he had, slotted uh, Connor Cody in at one of those centre-half positions and made Mac Doherty a right wing-back and changed everything compared to what he'd done previously. So we don't know for sure. Um, and we've talked about it a number of times as to whether he will play in a back four and whether it'll be alongside Willy Bolly or whether they'll bring somebody else in. But we don't know any more, even with a new manager. No, it's 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 early June. It's it's very early days. Or or but by the next by the time we do our next podcast, hopefully a lot will have become clearer. Just a note on Fabio Silva because he's spoken very very highly, hasn't he, about Luis Nascimento, who's due to come in as one of the assistants to Bruno Lage, and it is his brother. He said he was one of the most significant factors in his youth career, so that could be a, a really positive uh, sign for the club. Yeah, of, of, of course. I mean, he made, he made great progress last season and that's that goes right back to, you know, the fact that Bruno Lage is such a such a good fit because they've got a lot of Portuguese players, many of whom are very young and that, that's what he's had success at in the past. So, I'm sure um I'm sure Fabio Silva will benefit from that. 
Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Moving on to the Ask Wolves segment. The club responded to pleas for more communication by coming up with this extensive Q&A session hosted by Sky Sports reporter and Wolves fan Johnny Phillips. Good pal of ours. And he posed questions sent in by fans on all manner of subjects to Executive Chairman Jeff Shee and other members of the senior management team, and Matt Wilde, Scott Sellers, Vinnie Clark and Russell Jones in a, a round table setting in, what was it, the canteen in at Compton, was it? Or a restaurant at Compton, looked like? Uh, I don't know. I think it, it might have been the boardroom, but I couldn't tell. OK, anyway. <laughs> and that was in a, a round table setting. What were the main factors that came out of it for you? Let's start with the stadium situation. I thought it was, I mean, you've got to congratulate them on doing it. It It's two and a half hours, you know, two and a half hours of questions to the senior management from fans. I don't think you'll get many clubs doing that this summer. And um, (laughs) really, like hilariously bad timing. They record it. And then the next week, Nuno leaves the club. I'd love to know how many questions they had to cut out. So... Fair well, play. The first it, one seemed it. to mention Nuno a couple of times, then we never heard his name again after that. I know, that. I'm, I'm sure they would have had to cut stuff out and I'm sure they were mortified <laughs> and, and wondering whether to even put it out at all. So the, the proverbial, you know, fair play for them to do in it. And I thought it was, it's a great, that they sort of covered, what, 90% of subjects really, which which is pretty good since it's, 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 it's a club run production. I thought they answered pretty much everything that fans would have wanted to know. The big thing that came out of it for me, and you ask about the stadium, and this is sort of tied in with it, was 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 the realignment of ambitions. And you know, we haven't heard from Jeff She publicly for eighteen months, but a lot of the language he was using in his in the first few years at the club was of making Wolves one of the best clubs in the land as quickly as possible, and rivaling Man City. And you know, we we we, we want to be in the Champions League as soon as possible. We want to, we want to be winning the league in ten years if we can. That's stopped now. A, there's been a massive dose of realism because I think we all knew that that was extremely unlikely. But B, I think if the first five years of Foson's tenure, which is the anniversaries in July, if the first five years was about growing the team, and that's they've been extremely successful about that, it feels like the next five are going to be about growing the club and growing revenues. I think they've come to a realisation, and this is tied in with ticketing, that they're not making enough money and they're making nowhere near enough money to compete with the with the top six. You know, they finished level on level on points with Spurs last season, right? Same number of points on the field, but off the field, there was a 250 million uh, gap in terms of income, in terms of revenues. So the team's almost moved too fast for the club, really. And now I think it's time for the club to catch up. And I think that there's a massive, massive focus on growing the, the the brand overseas and in China, in North America. And I cannot underestimate to you how much of a focus they're placing on esports, 
on fashion, on sponsorship, on race cars. Or, and, and there's more to come. There's more to come over the next kind of 12 months. So it's people's full-time jobs, both here and overseas, to be working on this on a daily basis. And Jeff, she's taken a massive interest in it. And the most interesting thing that came out of those whole two and a half hours for me was three words spoken by Russell Jones. Red Bull model was what he said. He said, we see ourselves as, as a sort of a Red Bull model. And, you know, this is this is a podcast in itself, really. But you know, people will know the red the Red Bull model. It's not it's not just a drinks company anymore, is it? It's a motor racing team. It's it's several football clubs. It's a record label. You know, Red Bull is is a huge huge company in many different um, avenues, and that's the kind of model that Wolves are going down now. And and we see esports on their Twitter timeline all the time. It's so big for them. It's massive overseas, and I think that. That's going to be a key part of it now is driving revenues from elsewhere to to hopefully put back in the club and put back in the team. And that will make a big difference over the next few years. So I found I found that really interesting. A lot of the talk was about the ticketing situation, which they responded to Vinnie Clark in particular about the ticketing. And he was trying to defend the club's move to pitch tickets at around 40 to 45, that being the, the highest one, but there were cheaper ones available. Um, but there was a backlash from some fans that they just didn't understand the fans. I mean, is there a danger that there just isn't a huge amount of money in a lot of the fan base for obvious reasons after a pandemic and it's it's generally a low-earning area anyway? Um, and yet the club has to make money to be able to buy these players that we're all desperate to see on the pitch. I thought the, I thought the language was pretty candid and pretty bullish on things like the fan relationship and on ticketing. Jeff said he he doesn't understand the fans, you know, after five years at the club, and um, it, that's it's a hard thing to get your head around coming from a non-football world, coming from another continent, and yeah, in terms of ticketing, I mean, Vinnie Clark's got an awful lot of stick, which is which is completely unwarranted because you know it's not like it's not like he's putting the prices up. And Jeff, she's been held against his will, and Fosun, oh my God, this evil Vinnie Clark, what's he doing with the ticket prices? You know, this this is his remit to grow revenues into the club, and Wolves are a mile off clubs in mid-table like West Ham, like Newcastle, like Leic- like well, Leicester, well, Leicester have moved on a bit now, but you know what I mean. They're miles off them in terms of match day revenues, so they've got to improve incomes from Molyneux. Now, what I would take issue with is one, they compared Wolves to Leicester on that front which was unfortunate because Leicester offer far cheaper tickets than Wolves. Their tickets are £100 cheaper than Wolves, some of their season tickets. Another bit of language was, was Vinnie Clark said that, that he thinks tickets have been cheap in the past or, 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 or are cheap now. And I think lots of fans would take issue with that and say that several, several hundred pounds is not cheap for a season ticket. And also with the stadium, if, if, if you're going to put prices up, and I'm, I'm sure that they will, and I'm sure this won't be the first price rise. Then one, the football's got to be good, but two, so is what so is the stadium. And if you're going to charge five, six hundred pounds to sit in a stand that was built in 1979 and has absolutely no leg room and takes half an hour to get into, and I can tell you that from personal experience, and has no concourses to speak of, then that's just taking the mick, to be honest. So if they're talking about not improving the stadium too much, but yet they want to put up ticket prices, then they've got to hope the football on the field is good because otherwise people just won't pay it. And I know they've got a 10,000 seat waiting list and they can justify any price they want if it's a sellout in their eyes. But also, you know, fans have waited decades to see Wolves in this position. Decades since the 80s to see Wolves where they are now. And if you're now going to tell, if you're now going to price certain fans out of seeing the club where they finally are, then you're going down a really dangerous road, and um, I just hope for their sake that they that they that they have a little bit of a rethink on the pricing because most clubs are freezing their prices. Leicester have frozen their prices for six years despite winning the Premier League and playing in the Champions League. So um, if they're going to put prices up, they better hope the football on the field is going to is going to be good because otherwise there'll be a real backlash. Well, that's part of the problem, isn't it? Because had it been fast, free-flowing football, exciting, not necessarily goals galore, but just a bit more fun to watch last season, then perhaps the backlash might not have been so strong. Whereas people weren't really looking forward to that Man United game because they knew, well, for starters, it wasn't necessarily the, the full Man United team. It was didn't have a big occasion feel about it, apart from the fact that it was Nuno's last game. And just 
you know, even we, and we're pretty optimistic, glass half full kind of people, and even we were just not looking forward to Wolves games by the end of the season or by the last third of the season or last half, or most of it. It was just really, if they'd have put on a, a paint drying exhibition in West Park, it might have sold more tickets, to be honest. It really wasn't much fun. So there's that side of things. But from their point of view, and I always try to put myself in the shoes of the people whose job it is to make these decisions, because nothing's black and white. And they have to try to grow revenue. They have to try and make more money. And those people individually are answerable to Jeff Shee. And no doubt he's cracking the whip on them saying, well, you know, you've got to make more money for this club. You have to do your job better. And they're looking at ticket prices and thinking, well, we can't afford not to, to raise them. But then there has to be that communication with the supporters to understand from their perspective. And it is a really difficult situation. And Jeff Shee spoke very well on the new stadium situation, talking about interest rates are absolutely key. The financial climate is absolutely key to these things and how Spurs' interest uh, rate was 2 to 3% with a 20-year loan. Um, and you need a very stable 15 years to get that money back, he said. You have to be more cautious because of the pandemic. Interest rate's key. Even a tiny fluctuation in the percentage of interest rate is significant over 20 years. So now's not the financial climate to do that. And if it's a 20 to 25 year payback on a new stadium, as Russell Jones said, that's a very long wait to be able to get that much money through the door. So you can see how they're in a bit of a dilemma financially. Yeah, I I completely understand. Completely understand. I just think if you're going to keep putting prices up, in, in a tired, it Molyneux looks tired to me. You know, the Billy Wright stands, if you ever go in it, if you go to the Sir Jack Hayward suite, which is, you know, the sort of the best that they can offer in that stand, it's tired, it's old, it's got old carpet, it's got pillars in the way, they can't fit more than, what, three, four hundred people in there. It's been around since 94. The, the South Bank, 93 was that as well. North Bank's fantastic. And then the steeple stand, 1979, I mean, it's a joke. It's absolute joke. It's com- it's completely unfit for purpose, and they know that, and I'm sure they're embarrassed of it. So why why aren't they knocking it down and building a new stand? And that's what concerns me. But that's more is, loss of revenue in the short term. Yeah, but like so pandemic's what, but, meant they've had no income for a year. No, but they were saying that pre-pandemic. You know, I did a story in January 2020 where they where they put the master plan on hold, and they and it was going to be slight improvements to the steeple stand, and let's see what remodeling we can do, and maybe add a corner stand in between there and the South Bank. But when does the steeple stand get knocked down? It's it's like it built in the seventies, miles from the pitch. It was a it was a failure from word go. It had red seats and it was about five miles from the pitch. So when does that get knocked down? If Fosun aren't going to do that, then who is? Because I understand Fosun's argument that they they might not be around in twenty years. So why would they spend hundreds of millions of pounds on new Did stands? Did they say that they might not be around in twenty years? I think they well. I think that's what they're alluding to. Yeah, I think I think they've said that 10, 10 20 year plan. And obviously you can't you can't predict these things, but I, but sure, I sort of see what they But surely it would make the club more saleable, even if they did want to cash in in twenty years. If they have built a new stadium, bit by bit, perhaps upgraded it massively, so they have a lot more income, say fifty thousand seat or something more comparable to St James's Park, um, then that's going to be a real asset for the club if and when they do decide to sell it. Surely, whereas if they no, try totally. to sell it that, now that, with that, this that, kind that, of that's, setup, that's that's my point. So when does it get done? You know, Molyneux as, as a as a stadium and as a fan experience is miles behind other Premier League clubs. There are no real facilities on on site. There's no hotels. There's no bars. There's no I don't know casinos or whatever or restaurants. They just don't have that. They don't have the room to build it there. And I, I just don't. What I don't understand is why two years ago, at the end of season awards, I think you were there presenting and doing a fantastic job. Um, Laurie Darimple unveiled these mouth-watering images of what Molyneux could look like. And then six months later, and th- that was coupled in with like 60,000 seats, a golden walkway to the city centre, let's get rid of the subway and, and do something with that, and, and hotels they were talking about with the city council. Six months later, Dalrymple's gone, and so is that vision. And... In, now they're just looking at slight improvements to the stadium, and there is no vision for what Molyneux is okay, going to look so like in ten that years' changed? time. What's changed? It's a good. It's a good. It's a good question. It's one. It's one I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to put to them. And I think the reason they give is is financial that they're not going to receive a return on their huge investment. But if it doesn't happen now, when, when does it happen? Hmm. Yeah. 
Interesting. It is a real dilemma. And you I, I, hope- do you know what? Sorry, just to say I get it. Like Arsenal have had massive problems in, uh, on that front. You know, the Emirates was a real problem for them in terms of what it did for them on the pitch. And when you're looking at the bigger picture, yes, you could say that Wolves are doing the right thing by prioritising on the field. I just, I just think that um, that there are huge issues with Molyneux's long-term future, and um, they don't look like they've been resolved at the moment. Yeah, and that's what Jeff She said in his Q and A. He said that. If there's any spare money at the moment, then we want to put it into the first team. And a lot of fans want to see money in the first team this summer. They want to see a centre-half. They want to see another striker. They want to see certainly an upgrade in midfield. Um, But then they don't want to be paying more than they would have been in previous times. And a lot of people are struggling in the pandemic. So it's a dilemma. We do want it all. it's but, so but tough. But people you know, look at those and see them as being a this multi-gazillion organisation. Yeah, which they're not, and they never will be. Mm. No, and it's easy for us to sit here and say they should be spending money on this, this, and that. It's so it's such a difficult balancing act, and uh, the work that they've done on the field in the last five years is is unbelievable. I just think if if the football isn't great next season or they struggle and they're putting up prices, then then they just they're asking for trouble. Do they get enough credit, Boson? Because we're talking uh, about Nuno's brilliant three years. Nobody's really been talking about Fosun's brilliant three years and the fact that it was they who funded this. I think so. I, 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 I don't see... Um, but everyone just wants success for the here and now. And once things start to take a downward turn, then then they forget the good things that they've done over the last few years. But no, I think... Um, I mean, Jeff Shees is still enormously popular amongst supporters and I don't think you you see anybody saying that there should be a change of ownership at all. You know, I'm sure sure that people, when people stop and think, they're extremely grateful. You know, when, when when they're not saying, where's the new striker or where's the new stadium or whatever, you know, of course, Fosun deserve enormous credit for completely transforming this football club and um, I'll be doing a piece on that next month to mark their, their fifth anniversary. Okay, so the stadium situation isn't going to go away. Something else that came up was a question about George Mendez's influence. Jeff Shee saying we don't rely on any agency. We don't only work with George. They work with more agencies than just Gestefoot. Not all players are from there. Although when you think of the Fabio Silva transfer, he wasn't a Gestefoot client, but... Didn't George Mendes still get paid £10 million pounds agent's fee paid. for the facilitation, is that correct? As well as his agent actually getting paid too, as well as the £35 million pound transfer fee? Yeah, I'd, I'd, take, I'd take anything Wolf say about George Mendes on the record with, with a pinch of salt, really. They're, they're, they're not going to say, we look to him for all our big decisions and he's the, he's the main agent we use. They just, you know, I'd just take it with a pinch of salt. One interesting line, another one from the Q&A, and it, it was a fantastic listen and watch. It was really, really interesting. Um, was the question that was put to Jeff Shee about Wolves women, and he said, we want to make sure that every little girl in Wolverhampton has exactly the same opportunity as every little boy in terms of the quality of coaching, which is fantastic. But he also said that we're not going to go down the Man City, Man United, Chelsea route of trying to chase trophies because we don't think that that's financially going to be profitable. But yeah, I have to beg to differ with that. And um, there's a really good article on The Athletic by Katie Wyatt that she did on the Manchester City model. And it was really, really strong in terms of they were adamant about the financial payback of this and also the brand awareness, which they're so big on in in moving into new areas and America. And and they were sending shirts over to America for their American players that they had before they've all left now because they don't think it's uh, an athletic enough league, but that's another matter altogether. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, I do think it's a case of being able to break into new territories with the women's side because women's football is huge in America and, and lots of other countries besides. But but hey, at least it's it's a good thing that they're offering those opportunities to young players now. Yeah, I thought, I thought that line in particular, um, every girl in the city was 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 fantastic. And I guess this project's still in its infancy, really. And I think they're trying to see what 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 they're capable of of doing here. You know, Bulls Bulls women as a team, still very far down the pyramid. Let's be honest. But you know, we hope for a rapid rise in the next two years. So I think I think that project is is still in its infancy and they're still wondering what the vision can be there. 
and maybe that talk is kind of aligned with with what we see from the first team really you know that they're not chasing trophies with the first team either and and something Jeff said about how you know we might have a good season one season we might have a bad season the next season it doesn't really matter was what he was kind of saying you know the point is the overall growth now whether that means they're not pushing as hard for top six anymore I don't know but I certainly get the impression that as as discussed earlier off the field is is becoming more important than on the field but as for the women's team I mean obviously yeah this is the first pod we've done since uh, since they were belatedly promoted as well which is just um, fantastic news in fact they've had a great couple of weeks played at Molyneux as well so we can't wait to see how they get on next season absolutely chuffed to bits for Dan McNamara and all the players it's uh, long overdue yeah, really exciting times. And Vinnie Clark also saying that there'll be a, a women's replica range, which you'll know is music to my ears, Tim, because I'm always complaining to you about the lack of women's gear in the club shop. So come on, Vinnie. Come on, Vinnie. More women's gear in the club shop, please. If it's there, then people might even buy it. So come on, that would be great. But just looking bigger picture about the, the Ask Wolves situation, finally, I thought it was really interesting, the stuff they talked about with how they've changed in the last five years and Jeff Shee talking about how he doesn't understand the fans, as you mentioned, but you know, it's not a homogenous breed, is it? People have individual opinions and it's not really the fans. I mean, you know, they have all sorts of different opinions and, and want to see different things perhaps. Um, but also what he's learned in that he says, I'm not the same man as I was in the press conference when Walter Zenger arrived and he doesn't want to be judged on quotes from five years ago because he's learned so much since then and he realises just how difficult difficult it is to break into the top four and top six, he said. But also said that he really wants fans to trust them. He said, look, you know, it's like a relationship, with, he said, with my wife. I don't need to tell her every day I love her. She should know that. And he said, it's the same with the fans. I shouldn't need to confirm everything to you that we're not going anywhere. We're here for the long term and we're emotionally invested in this club. I do think I do think they get a yeah a, a bit tired of fans questioning their their commitment and we know that they they see it and and they keep an eye on social media and message boards and see what fans are saying and and I think yeah the amount that they've invested in terms of money and time you know to have their loyalty questioned I think irks them but then equally you, you know you see other Chinese investors pulling out of European football teams and and I think it's right to question you know is that same going to happen with Foson but as Jeff said politics and football doesn't really mix he, he suggested and it and kind of said that that's not an issue and there's certainly been no signs of of, of, a, of, a, of a pullout as it were so yeah I, th- I thought overall it was a really interesting exercise I think we got we, we all got a lot from it and it's kind of set the tone really for for the next for the next couple of years in terms of their ambitions yeah and I do think it was well overdue I've said many times on this pod that I think communication from the club is vital because if you've got people there working the backsides off for the good of the club and fans not hearing that not knowing who any of these people are not knowing who's doing what job and what they're actually doing beavering away behind the scenes then it can cause a few ructions and and, and a communication breakdown if you like it's not helpful especially when things then aren't going well on the pitch so yes I understand what Jeff she's saying about I don't want to be coming up coming out after a defeat and explaining things. No, of course not. But I think a general flow of communication is really, really healthy. And and just listening to Matt Wilde, who we've had twice on this podcast, he's a very normal, natural human bloke who's doing a very good job. And he just talks like a normal person. And I think hearing more from Matt Wilde would be a really positive thing. And it doesn't mean crisis management when something's gone wrong. It just means just communicating every so often and um, you know putting stuff out on the website as to what they're up to and what their thoughts are and you know it can be very controlled in that way Um, but I do think more regular communication is a really positive thing because it stands you in good stead for if and when things do go wrong that um, that you have that trust I think a little bit more in what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah, and I, th- I think you know what at the end of the day they're doing an awful lot of good things at this football club. So, so why would you not want to shout about that? Exactly, couldn't agree more. Thank you, Tim. Cheers, Jackie. Uh, looking forward to the Euros. Can I just say, Wolves have seven players at the Euros. That's three more than they've had at any tournament in the club's history. The most they've ever had is four in 1958. So, um, well, they. They did sign most of the uh, Portugal Euros. They did, and they let a couple go as well that were in the squad. Um, But yeah, obviously, um, the four lads with Portugal, Dendonco might be playing for Belgium, Traore with Spain, and of course, Connor Cody with England. Should Should be a fun month. And you're going to be busy? 
I'm going to be keeping a very close eye on Portugal. I don't know why I've been assigned that. Absolutely no idea what think. my link might be with Portugal Portuguese players. So yeah, that's going to be that's going to be really fun. Keeping a close eye on, on how they do. Probably go all the way to the final and keep you, you busy for another yeah, month. You should be. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks, Tim. Thanks also to David Jones for joining us, for his insight on Bruno Large, and for Steve Ted Hankey, our producer, for his help as ever. Now you can subscribe to The Athletic for a special price of £3.99 a month for six months. That's 40% off the full price of a subscription. So read all of Tim's insight into what's going on at the club. Loads of great analysis, in-depth features great football writers at The Athletic and you can listen to all the podcasts there'll be plenty of them throughout the Euros advert free via the app so go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash wolves pod and you'll have the special 40% discount that's it from us for now maybe we'll see you in the new season well we certainly will but maybe we'll see you before if something particularly interesting happens we'll see bye for now Athletic.